BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Winters across the U.S. are getting warmer because of climate change. And in California, an increase of even a few degrees has serious implications for water supplies. KQED climate reporter Laura Clivens has more. Some cities such as San Francisco, Chico, and Fresno are an average of three degrees warmer over the winter than they were 50 years ago. In other cities like Los Angeles and Palm Springs, winter temperatures are pretty much the same. Andrew Pershing is the director of climate science at the research group Climate Central. He says the warm temperatures will likely mean more drought. That's going to continue many of the water challenges that California has been facing now for the last more than a year. When the precipitation comes because of these warmer temperatures, it's more likely to come in the form of rain instead of snow. And less snow in the Sierra makes it harder to store water for the summer. Higher winter temperatures will also likely shrink the ski season and deprive some trees, like cherries, of the cold they need to produce fruits. I'm Laura Clivens, KQED News. Many of us will soon be preparing our Thanksgiving meals. But some of the food that will be cooked and served won't actually be eaten. It'll end up in the garbage. And that kind of food waste is a significant contributor to climate change. So much so, the state of California is trying to crack down on it with big changes coming up. I talked about all of this with Rachel Wagoner, the director of the state's recycling agency, CalRecycle. We met on the loading dock of a food recycling center south of downtown L.A. Well, Saul, so half of what we put in landfills is organic, which means that it breaks down into methane, which is a climate super pollutant. It is 80 times, 84 times really more potent than carbon. And that is causing a huge impact on our atmosphere and is impacting climate change. So I just want to stress that. I mean, food waste is a real accelerator of climate change. Exactly. 11 billion pounds last year was disposed of of food waste. Much of that was still edible. So to date, what is the state done about this? So in 2016, Senator Ricardo Lara passed a first-in-the-nation bill that requires the state to reach a 75% diversion of all of our organic waste. That's everything from food waste to yard waste to the clothes that we wear. That legislation will result in a 75% reduction in the amount that we are throwing away if we do it right. So 
We are working with all of the local governments in California to institute programs so that we can get organic waste out of landfills and either compost it or, as we're doing here today, um, find even better next uses for things that would have otherwise been thrown away. You know, we're at a place uh, where you're, you see very a tangible form of food recycling. Food, food is coming in here that otherwise would have gone to waste, would have maybe ended up in a landfill. Is this partially an example of the laws on the books now in California that, you know, companies have to do this. They have to find alternative ways to use extra food. That's exactly right, Sal. One of the things that we're doing here today is we are looking at a food recovery center. The Food Forward Produce Pit Stop is um, moving over 60 million pounds of produce every year and getting those that fresh produce into people's hands, our neighbors, our communities who are food insecure, while making sure that this food doesn't get thrown away, which is amazing. So tell me about what's coming up. What can Californians expect starting next year in particular? So next year, January 1st, every local jurisdiction in California will have had to start instituting a program for the collection of food and other organic waste. And so you should see your city or county have a collection program. Oftentimes that'll mean that your yard waste bin will now be a yard and food waste bin. We're looking for individual Californians to think about their relationship with their food rather than throw that banana peel in the garbage can where it's going to break down to methane in a landfill, throw it in your compost pile or in your yard waste bin. And when it comes to the new law next year, what is your response to the inevitable criticisms of it? Oh, here's another example of Nanny State, California. Now they want to get into my garbage can, into what I do in the kitchen. You would say what to that? I would say, Sal, we don't have a moment to wait. Our climate absolutely needs us to act now. And like I said, the organic waste degrading and decomposing in a landfill is degrading into methane, which is contaminating our atmosphere. We don't have any time to wait in our climate. And this is the single easiest thing that we can do as Californians to impact climate change. That was Rachel Wagner, the director of the state's recycling agency, CalRecycle. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for one ninety nine. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.
Last year, Congress passed a law requiring the Department of Veterans Affairs to disclose how many veterans got sick and died of the coronavirus in VA nursing homes. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, the department finally released some data, but it's incomplete. Specifically dedicated to caring for elderly U.S. veterans, the homes are financed under the VA, but run by state governments or the contractors they hire. The report covers two types of facilities for veterans, nursing homes and assisted living centers. Nationwide, almost 1,500 residents and 54 staff members have died of COVID-19 in those facilities. That number doesn't include the first few months of the pandemic and is likely to rise as more data is reported. In California, 400 86 staff members and at least 149 residents have been infected with COVID-19, some as recently as October. Two of those homes reported veteran deaths, but the total number was not released. The veteran's home in West L.A. was the only facility to report staff deaths, but that number isn't specified. Homes that are more like assisted living centers have even less data. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. A year-long study on a part of the Mojave Desert says the night sky there is really, really dark. So much so, it might earn the rare distinction as an international dark sky sanctuary. With more, here's KCRW's Kaylee Wells. There are about 180 official dark sky places worldwide. To get on that list, you have to be above a certain brightness magnitude. Anything lower than a measurement of 16 is a light-polluted site, above 21, and it's very dark. A team of interns studied the brightness at the Mojave Trails National Monument, which is wedged between Joshua Tree and the Mojave National Preserve. Over the course of a year, it averaged a magnitude of 21.5. That's good news for stargazers, but it's also good news for wildlife. Less artificial light means less disruption to migration patterns and circadian rhythms. Now the 1.6 million acre monument has to apply to get official recognition, a process that typically takes one to three years. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. A giant asteroid or comet on a collision course with Earth is a staple of science fiction books and movies, like the 1998 film Armageddon. What hit us? Small asteroid fragments. This new one you're tracking, how big? It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. But in real life, an extraterrestrial rock striking our world isn't out of the question, like that asteroid that helped wipe out the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. So, very early this morning, NASA launched a first-of-its-kind mission from California's Vandenberg Air Force Base. Called DART, or the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, it's a vehicle that will travel millions of miles through space and then crash into an asteroid on purpose, one that doesn't pose a threat to our world. Here to talk more about all of this is Jason Davis with the Pasadena-based Planetary Society, a space advocacy group. So, Jason, before before we get to the particulars of this mission, let's talk more about the threat to Earth from other objects whipping around the cosmos. Yeah, so we know that throughout history, um, we've had some pretty significant uh, objects that have hit the Earth. These are, we say objects, that usually just means asteroids or comets, just kind of a catch-all term. And, you know, the right size rock and the right direct hit could cause actually major de uh, devastation over a major city. If we were to get, say, a direct hit uh, on, say, New York City, you could potentially have 
you know, hundreds of thousands of people be killed. That'd be very rare. And, you know, most of the earth is covered in water. So, you know, we don't expect that to happen, but it is an actual threat that we need to think about. Hmm. So let's turn to this mission, uh, the DART mission uh, that, that's been launched. What will it do? Yeah. So, we know that if we discover an asteroid that's uh, on course to hit Earth with enough time that we can do something about it, there's lots of different potential ways that we might be able to deflect it, um, just nudge it enough off its course so that it misses Earth. And one of the most straightforward ways is called the kinetic impactor. And that just means you take a spacecraft um, and you just ram the asteroid as fast and hard as you can. And if you hit it right, um, that will be enough if it's far enough away from Earth that um, you just barely knock it off course. A tiny little course correction when it's far away can be all the difference and, and end up making it miss Earth. And um, what we're doing, or what NASA is doing with this DART mission, um, it, it's going to be a 10-month uh, journey to get out to these. It's actually two asteroids. Um, we have this big asteroid called Dimorphos, and then it has a little moon called Didymos. And um, we're going to hit the moon of the asteroid uh, in a way that that should change the moon's orbit around the bigger asteroid. And um, it doesn't sound like uh, much, but from the ground, uh, astronomers can actually measure you can't see the two asteroids themselves. They just look like one point of light, but they kind of brighten and dim on regular intervals as sure. one asteroid circles the other one. And they'll be able to see a slight change in that frequency of it brightening and dimming to kind of validate that, yes, this did uh, cause a measurable impact. So I guess the big idea here is that this test is essentially a proof of concept that we can do this. And maybe one day, if we really had to do this for real against a, an asteroid or a comet that was heading our way, we'd be able to do that, knock it out of the path of Earth, essentially. Yeah. And they've, you know, it's been theorized, you know, depending on like how big the asteroid is um, and the course it's on, you know, it may take, say, a fleet of spacecraft hitting it. And that might be a situation where you need to get the world space agencies all involved together and you send a small fleet of spacecraft at it to hit it one after another. Or maybe you hit it once and then you measure the change that was made and say, mm, we need to nudge it a little bit more this way. So you send another couple spacecraft. And um, yeah, so this is our first time that we just are going to test and say, did we do something? Did we actually move it? You know, they obviously think they're going to, but you want to test it out and see exactly how accurate uh, you were in your, um, your theories. And uh, yeah, then the idea would be that if this, if this happened with enough time, we could actually do this and save the earth potentially. All right. That is Jason Davis of the Planetary Society. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, November 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're traveling for Thanksgiving today, please be careful and be patient. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.